The Sanctification of the Spirit by Octavius Winslow The Necessity and the Nature of True Holiness Through Sanctification of the Spirit, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 We have already briefly intimated that one most important feature in the work of the indwelling Spirit is the sanctification of the believer. What was merely glanced at in the preceding chapter will now by the assistance of that same teacher who has promised to guide into all spiritual truth be more fully unfolded while yet upon the threshold of our subject let it be premised that there is an order as well as a harmony in the operations of the spirit which it is highly important should be observed an ignorance or an oversight of this has led to great and fatal perversions of the gospel especially that part which relates to the doctrine now under discussion all the self-righteousness of the pharisee and all the self-devotion of the deluded disciple of the papal superstition have their origin here now the order of the spirit is this regeneration of the heart first then its sanctification reverse this and we derange every part of his work and as far as our individual benefit extends render it entirely useless sanctification is not the first and immediate duty of an unrenewed person indeed it is utterly impossible that it should be so sanctification has its commencement and its daily growth in a principle of life implanted in the soul by the eternal spirit and to look for holiness in an individual still dead in sins is to look for fruit where no seed was sown for the actings of life where no vital principle exists it is to expect in the language of our lord to gather grapes from thorns and figs from thistles the first and imperative duty of an unrenewed man is to prostrate himself in deep abasement and true repentance before god the lofty look must be brought low and the rebellious will must be humbled in the posture of one overwhelmed with a sense of guilt he must look by faith to a crucified saviour and draw from him life pardon and acceptance it is most solemnly true that without holiness no man shall see the lord yet all attempts towards the attainment of holiness before repentance towards god and faith in the lord jesus christ will but disappoint the soul that looks for it this work of renewal done sanctification is a comparatively easy and delightful task motives and exhortations to a life of holiness now find a ready response in the heart already the temple of the holy spirit the incorruptible seed sown there germinates into the plant and blossoms and ripens into the fruits of holiness the well of living water created there springs up and pours forth its stream of life and purity adorning and fertilizing the garden of the lord let us then be careful not to disturb the arrangement and reverse the order of the blessed spirit in his work from lack of such care great errors have arisen and souls have gone into eternity fearfully and fatally deceived especially cautious should they be in this matter who are appointed to the office of spiritual instruction to whose care immortal souls are entrusted lest in a matter involving interests so precious and so lasting 
Anyone listening to their teaching should pass into eternity ignorant of the one and true method of salvation. Let the reader prayerfully follow us while we endeavor to unfold the necessity of sanctification in the believer, its gospel nature, and the means employed by the Spirit in its production. There exists an absolute and solemn necessity for sanctification in a child of God. To remind the reader of this may at first sight appear a needless work. So self-evident and so immediate an effect of regeneration by the Spirit does it seem, and yet the advanced believer, much more the sincere inquirer after a more perfect knowledge of the will of God, needs to be perpetually reminded of the solemn necessity for his own happiness and his Father's glory of a daily growth in all holiness. And as the believer is, after regeneration, an active agent in the furtherance of this great work, and as there is a perpetual proneness, though the many infirmities of the flesh, to settle down in a state of ease and sloth in it, the importance of being reminded of this necessity will immediately appear. The first ground on which this necessity rests is the holiness of God. The nature of the God whose temple he is pleads for the sanctification of the believer. We have to do with a holy God who, from the very necessity and purity of his being, can have no fellowship with sin. He must abhor it. A stronger plea for the sanctification of the child of God can nowhere be found. Let us for a moment trace this argument as it runs like a golden thread through every part of God's word. We see its commencement in the Old Testament. Leviticus 11:44-45. For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. I am the Lord that bringeth you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, ye shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that these commandments and this standard may not seem to be exclusively to the Old Testament saints, the Apostle Peter embodies them as of equal force and solemnity in his writings to the saints of the New Testament. 1 Peter 1.15 and 16 but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. If this motive to sanctification came clothed with such solemnity and power, and was so felt by the Jewish church, what should be its authority and influence with the church as it now exists? The increased power and solemnity of this motive is drawn from the resplendent exhibition of God's holiness in the cross of Christ. The saints of the Old Testament were not favored with such a development of the divine purity as an engagement to sanctification. But we possess it so that if we continue in sin after we have believed, we are without excuse, as God is clear when he judgeth. The cross is God's grand demonstration of his holiness. Here has he, as it were, unveiled his great perfections and shown what a sin-hating, holy-loving God he is. What? Could he not pass by his dear son? Did he give him up to the shame and the spitting? Why did he not withhold his darling from the power of the dog? Did justice sheath its sword in the heart of Jesus? Did it smite the shepherd? 
and why all this the answer comes from calvary i the lord am a holy god and then follows the precept oh how touching be ye holy for i am holy see what is the justice of god but his holiness in exercise revealed itself as a consuming fire on calvary our dear lord was a whole burnt offering for his people and that fire that descended and consumed the sacrifice was the holiness of god in active and fearful exercise here then springs the solemn necessity for sanctification in the believer the god he loves is holy the father is holy and he has written out that holiness in awful letters in the cross of his well-beloved son be ye holy for i am holy we must study god in christ there we see his holiness justice wisdom grace truth love and mercy all unfolded in their richest glory and most benevolent exercise the necessity for sanctification also springs from the work of christ the lord jesus became incarnate and died as much for the sanctification as for the pardon and justification of his church as much for her deliverance from the indwelling power of sin as from the condemnatory power of sin his work would have been but partial and incomplete if no provision had been made for the holiness of the believer but he came not only to blot out sin but to render asunder its chain not only to remove its curse but to break its sceptre the believer in jesus may be but imperfectly aware how closely associated his sanctification is with the obedience and death of christ indeed the very death of christ for sin out of him is the death of sin in him no inwards are made upon the dominion of indwelling sin no conquests obtained no flesh crucified no easy besetting sin laid aside save only as the believer hangs daily upon the cross observe how the holy ghost connects the two the death of christ and the holiness of the believer thus in john seventeen nineteen and for their sakes says jesus i sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth as their high priest to atone and purify he set himself apart as a holy sacrifice to the lord for the church's sake for their sakes i sanctify myself or set myself apart oh what a motive to holiness is this saint of god can you resist it yet again the connection is unfolded in titus two fourteen who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works ephesians five twenty five and twenty six husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word thus clearly does the holy spirit unfold the close and beautiful relationship between the death of christ and the death of sin the covenant of grace enforces the sanctification of the believer it is the eternal and immutable purpose of god observes dr john owen that all who are his in a particular manner all whom he designs to bring unto blessedness in the everlasting enjoyment of himself shall antecedently thereto be made holy for the security and attainment of this all provision has been made in the everlasting covenant of grace the very election of the believer to eternal life provides for and secures his holiness 
there could not possibly be any holiness without election because election provides the means of its attainment thus clearly does the spirit of truth unfold it second thessalonians two thirteen we are bound to give thanks always to god for you brethren beloved of the lord because god hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth now again in ephesians one four according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love let this be clearly understood on the ground of no foreseen holiness in the creature did god thus purpose to save him but seeing the indispensable necessity of sanctification in order to eternal glory the impossibility of the one without the other he chose us in christ that we should be holy let not the christian reader turn away from or treat lightly this precious revealed truth of god's word an election of a people unto holiness here and glory hereafter the prejudice of education early modes of thought a preconceived system and most of all the neglect of a close and prayerful investigation of god's word for himself may lead to the rejection of the doctrine but he who first objects to it and then renounces it without a thorough and prayerful sifting of its scriptural claims to belief stands on solemn ground and his attitude may have fearful consequences what god has revealed that call not thou common what he has commanded do not turn from lest you be found to have turned from god himself why it has pleased the lord to choose a people in this way it is not our province to inquire nor we believe would it be for our happiness to know we do not attempt to explain the doctrine much less to account for it we simply and we trust scripturally state it leaving god to vindicate and bless it he is the best defender and apologist of his own sacred truth secret things belong unto the lord our god but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine the secret thing in the doctrine of election is why god has done it the thing which is revealed is that he has done it let us not then seek to be wise above what is written though it is our duty as an acute writer has remarked to what is written leaving the more perfect knowledge of the things that are now seen as through a glass darkly to that period of perfect illumination when we shall know even as we are known but this much we know that it is the eternal purpose of god revealed and provided for in the covenant of grace that all who are chosen called and justified shall with a view to their being glorified be partakers of his holiness heaven is a holy place its inhabitants are a holy people and he whose glory fills the temple is a holy god behold then the provision god has made for the sanctification of the believer in the everlasting covenant of grace the foundation is laid in the death of christ it commences in the effectual calling of the spirit and by all the precious assurances of grace wisdom and strength provided in the covenant it is carried forward to a glorious completion we would only specify as one more consideration pleading for the sanctification of the believer his own personal happiness holiness is necessary to the comfort of the believer as it is an essential element of his christian character 
sanctification is a part of the new creation although not the first step the soul takes into the new world of holiness yet it immediately follows regeneration is the commencement of the reign of holiness or to change the figure the planting of the germ which time and the lord's covenant dealings cause to take deep root and to put forth its lovely and fragrant flower in proportion as the sanctification of a believer advances his real happiness advances with it holiness brings its own peculiar and high enjoyment it is from heaven and conveys into the heart the happiness of heaven so that he who is most holy has most of the material of heaven in his soul oh how loudly does the happiness of a child of god plead for his holiness as his soul approximates to the likeness of god his circumstances trying as they may be cannot remove the fine edge of his inward and concealed enjoyments indeed sanctified by the indwelling spirit trials only heighten those enjoyments and are found the most effective helps to the maturing of holiness in his soul these are some of the grounds on which the necessity of the sanctification is enforced in the divine word it will now be proper to unfold its gospel nature what is true sanctification the question is vastly more important than would at first sight appear unscriptural views of sanctification have been found to exist not only among the unregenerate but even in the church of christ yet every dear child of god who honestly desires to follow the lord fully and to live as a temple of the holy ghost deeply feels the necessity of the spirit's teaching in a manner so personal and so momentous as this how much do we now write and they who read need while contemplating this subject the atonings of the holy one and the eye that looks at the blood that cleanses from all sin sanctification has been defined as the work of the holy spirit whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of god and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness briefly and emphatically it is a progressive conformity of the whole man to the divine nature under the levitical dispensation the term sanctified had a peculiar meaning persons and things were said to be sanctified which were separated set apart and offered to god thus the furniture of the temple was pronounced holy or sanctified the ark the altar all the utensils of the temple and the vestments of the priests were regarded as sanctified because set apart and dedicated to god for the same reason persons were said to be sanctified who were solemnly consecrated to the service the dispensation of ritual having passed away the word by an easy and natural accommodation has assumed a more comprehensive and evangelical meaning and now is employed to set forth the advance of the believer in a conformity of heart to the will and image of god in explaining the nature of sanctification we would first of all establish from the scripture the spirituality of the divine law there is a sense as we have elsewhere shown in which the believer is dead to the law his union to christ has delivered him from the law as a covenant of works we are become dead to the law by the body of christ that we should be married to another even to him that is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto god 
Again, now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, being dead to that wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Romans 7, 4, 6. This, then, is the deadness to which the apostle refers. It is a release from the law as a ground of acceptance. The believer is accepted in the beloved, pardoned, justified, and sanctified in Christ. He is married to Christ. He is one with Christ. As such, he is delivered from the law, under whose condemnation he rested, being dead to that wherein he was held. It can no longer assert its claims or exact obedience as the condition of life. It can no longer threaten or condemn. Shut up in the faith of Jesus and receiving pardon and justification through him, he is beyond the power of the law as a covenant of life and is screened from its vengeance as a source of condemnation. No single truth has the Holy Ghost more clearly written than out of this. He has shown, too, that it forms the basis of sanctification in the justified believer, his release from a covenant of works, and his translation into the covenant of grace. His deliverance from the law and his union to Christ form the holy ground of all holy liberty, filial obedience, and spiritual fruitfulness. They that are under the law are under the curse, but there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Therefore the believer in Christ is not under the law. But we come to the sense in which they that are in Christ Jesus have yet to do with the law, released from it as a covenant of life, yet it remains obligatory as a rule of obedience to christ if we suppose that the law has lost all authority and use to be entirely abrogated we must suppose that the relation of god to his creatures as their moral governor has also ceased that having laid aside all rule of obedience he has with it abdicated the throne of the universe and that man has ceased to be the subject of a moral government but far from this the law of God remains in all its dignity, purity, and force. The believer in Christ is released from it as a ground of acceptance, but not as a standard of holiness. It is true that Christ is the standard and pattern of a believer's holiness. Undoubtedly, then we argue that the moral law was the standard of Christ's holiness, therefore it must necessarily be the standard of the believers. The whole life of Jesus was a conformity to the purity of the divine law, which was his standard of holiness and his pattern of obedience. Therefore, in the following, the example of Christ, we are being conformed to the purity of the law in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Sanctification, then, is a growing conformity to the spirituality of the divine law. The sincere believer acknowledges that the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. He knows that the law is spiritual. He therefore delights in the law of God after the inward man. Does his faith in Jesus make void the law? God forbid. Instead, his faith establishes the law, reflects its spirituality, maintains its purity, vindicates its holiness, and glorifies its divine author. 
the closer then the resemblance of the believer to the spirituality of the law of god in his life his temper and habit of his mind his principles his daily walk what in the world and out of the world among the saints or as surrounded by the ungodly the more thoroughly is the work of the sanctification advancing in his soul in all this there is a more simple surrender to the will to god robert layton has remarked that to save from the heart thy will be done constitutes the very essence of the sanctification there is much truth in this more than perhaps strikes the mind at the first view before conversion the will the governing principle of the soul is the seat of all opposition to god it rises against god his government his law his providence his grace his son to all that appertains to god the unrenewed will of man is hostile here lies the depth of man's unholiness the will is against god and so long as it refuses to obey him the creature must remain unholy now it needs no lengthy argument to show that when the will as renewed by the holy ghost is made to submit to god the holiness of the believer must be in proportion to the degree of its submission there could not be perfect holiness in heaven were there the slightest preponderance of the will of the creature toward itself the spirits of just men made perfect are supremely holy because their wills are supremely swallowed up in the will of god thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven the will of god is supremely obeyed in heaven and in this consists the holiness and the felicity of its glorious inhabitants now in exact proportion as god's will is done on earth by the believer he drinks from the pure fountain of holiness and as he is enabled by the grace of christ in all things to look up to god with filial love and to say not my will o my father but thine be done he attains the very essence of sanctification let us trace out this subject it is god's revealed will that his child should be holy this is the will of god even your sanctification when the will of the believer rises and bends itself with god's will here and the spirit of sonship responds lord is it thy will that i should be holy then make me so in body in soul and in spirit subdue all my corruptions break the power of my lusts bring every thought affection word and look into sweet obedience to thyself rule thou in the midst of thine enemies how truly does the work of sanctification advance in the soul it is the revealed will of god that his child should maintain a walk in all things pleasing to him that ye may walk worthy of the lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god when the believer's will fully acquiesces in this and the heart is drawn out in earnest and agonizing prayer for an upright walk worthy of his high calling and out of the lord by whom he is called for more fruitfulness and every good work and for an increase of faith love and knowledge of god who will not say that such a soul is rapidly growing in sanctification it is the revealed will of god that the believer should walk as an obedient child oh that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea and when these are the responsive breathings of his soul i love thy commandments above gold yea above fine gold therefore i esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right and i hate every false way 
I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Such a soul is maturing in holiness and is becoming fitted for the inheritance of the saints in light. It is the revealed will of God that his child should meekly and silently bow to his chastening hand. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And when the tried and afflicted believer hears the rod, and who hath appointed it, and with a humble and filial acquiescence justifies the wisdom and the love and even the tenderness that sent it, surely such a soul is a rich partaker of god's holiness in all these particulars there is a surrender of the will to god and consequently an approximation to the holiness of his nature the point we are now considering is one of great importance it involves as much your holy and happy walk as it does the glory of god we put the simple questions can there be any advance of sanctification in the soul when the will is running counter to the divine will? And can that believer walk happily when there is a constant opposition in his mind to all the dealings of his God and Father? Oh, no. Holiness and happiness are closely allied, and both are the offspring of a humble, filial, and complete surrender of the will in all things to God such an attainment in holiness is not soon or easily gained far from it in many it is the work of years in all of painful discipline it is not on the high mount of joy but in the low valley of humiliation that this precious and holy surrender is learned it is not in the summer day when all things smile and wear a sunny aspect that it were easy to say thy will be done but when a cloudy and a wintry sky looks down upon you when the chill blast of adversity blows when heart fails when friends die when wealth departs when the heart's fondest endearments are yielded when the isaac is called for when the world turns its back when all is gone and you are like a tree of the desert over which the tempest has swept stripping it of every branch when you are brought so low that it would seem to you that you could not be any lower than to look up with filial love and exclaim my father thy will be done oh this is holiness this is happiness indeed it may be that god your god and father is dealing in this way with you now has he taken from you health has he asked for the surrender of your isaac have riches taken to themselves wings does the world frown ah little do you realize how god is now about to unfold to you the depths of his love and to cause your will sweetly and filially and entirely to flow into his let me repeat the observation a higher degree of sanctification there cannot be than a will entirely swallowed up in god's earnestly pray for it diligently seek it be jealous of the slightest opposition of your mind watch against the least rebellion of the will wrestle for an entire surrender to beware and to watch your covenant god and father would have you and so shall you be made a partaker of his holiness furthermore sanctification includes a growing resemblance to the likeness of christ how beautifully and explicitly has the holy ghost unfolded this in his word this was the exhortation of our dear lord 
Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And throughout the writings of his apostle the same truth is exhibited. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Romans 8.29 Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4.15 Here is the glorious pattern of a child of God. Sanctification is a conformity to the image and the example of Christ. The more the believer is growing like Jesus, the more he is growing in holiness. And on the contrary, the less resemblance there is to Christ in his principles, in the habit of his mind, in his spirit, and every action, and in every look, the less is he advancing in the great work of holiness. Were they to deal faithfully with conscience in the much-neglected duty of self-examination? Were they to bring themselves to this great standard? How far below it would they be found to have come? How much in their principles, in their governing motives, in their temper, spirit, and daily conduct? How much in their walk in the world, in their deportment in the church, and in their more concealed conduct in their families would be discovered that was unlike Christ? how much that was from beneath how little that was from above how much of the image of the earthly how little of the image of the heavenly but look at the image of our dear lord how lowly how holy it is look at his poverty of spirit lowliness of heart humility of deportment tenderness gentleness forgiveness of injuries self-denial prayerfulness zeal for his father's glory yearnings for the salvation of men oh to be like jesus to grow up into him in all things this is to walk worthy of the lord unto all pleasing this is to realize the will of god even our sanctification let it not then be forgotten that an advancing believer is one growing up in a resemblance and conformity to the image and example of christ we must include though in general terms as involved in the growing sanctification of the believer an increasingly tender conscience a soft and gentle walk deepening views of sin looking at it more directly in the light of the cross mourning over confessing hating and crucifying it there nor must we admit a more complete investiture of the christian with the graces of the spirit the act of graces faith love zeal self-denial and the passive graces meekness long-suffering gentleness and peace there are some and not a few cases in which all of these features distinguish a believer advancing in sanctification having thus briefly considered the nature of sanctification we now proceed to the main design of this chapter which was to show the agency of the holy spirit in its production the work of sanctification is preeminently the product of the spirit he is the great sanctifier of the soul we have shown that the implantation of the germ of holiness and regeneration is of him for let it ever be borne in mind that a renewed soul has within it the incorruptible seed of holiness although its growth in many instances may be slow and scarcely perceptible although during a long period of his journey the believer may be the subject of strong corruptions and clinging infirmities which in a degree act like frosts upon the tender scion checking its advance to maturity yet the seed is there 
Indwelling sin cannot destroy it. The frost cannot kill it. It is incorruptible and therefore cannot be corrupted. The process of time under the tender and fruitful culture of the eternal spirit, it shall deepen and expand its roots and put forth its branches and its boughs and then shall appear the fruit first the blade then the ear then that the full corn in the ear it will vary in its degree of fruitfulness among the saints in some thirty some sixty some a hundredfold but in all it will be of the same nature and the product of the same spirit it has been the constant effort of satan to divert men from the great point we are now considering in two ways he has proved successful first in setting them upon the work of mortification of sin before regeneration and second in setting upon them the same work after conversion in their own strength with regard to the first we have shown at some length that sanctification is not the work of an unbeliever although it is solemnly true that without holiness no man shall see the lord yet the attainment of holiness is an utter impossibility so long as the heart remains a stranger to the regenerating operations of the holy spirit repentance and faith are the first necessities in order of time for an unconverted man with regard to the second effort of satan to deceive the soul it is equally ruinous to all true mortification of sin no child of god can accomplish this mighty work in his own strength here lies the secret be assured of all our failure and disappointment in the work forgetting that he who proved victorious in this warfare must first learn the lesson of his own weakness and insufficiency and thus schooled must go forth in the strength that it is in christ jesus and in the power of his might taking the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit forgetting this important truth we march to the overthrow of our corruptions in our own fancied wisdom and power and the result always has been and with the same mean ever will be our complete discomfiture oh when shall we learn that we are nothing that we have no might and that our feeblest enemy will triumph if his overthrow be attempted in our own insufficiency the holy spirit is the efficient cause of all holiness in the believer if we look into the prophecy of ezekiel we find clear intimations of the promise of the spirit to this effect there god unfolds what may be regarded as the fountain of all sanctification the removal of the stony heart and the implanting of the new spirit ezekiel eleven nineteen i will give them one heart and i will put a new spirit within you ezekiel thirty six twenty six a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will i put within you let us see the doctrine as more clearly unfolded in the writings of the apostles here in romans eight nine ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of god dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of christ he is none of his and if christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness and in first corinthians six eleven and such were some of you but ye are washed but ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god 
and in second thessalonians 2:13 but we are bound to give thanks always to god for you brethren beloved of the lord because god hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth and in first peter 1:2 elect according to the foreknowledge of god the father through sanctification of the spirit we are far from excluding the father and the son from any part of this great work we believe they are deeply interested in it as the divine word shows in jude one them that are sanctified by god the father and in first corinthians one two them that are sanctified in jesus christ but the holy spirit is the special immediate agent to whom the work of sanctifying the believer is assigned let us now attempt to show in what way he sanctifies the believer first by leading to a deeper acquaintance with the existence and power of indwelling sin perhaps the first impression of the reader is how can this be how does the breaking up of the deep fountain of inbred sin lead to the quieting of its dark and turbulent waves but the holy spirit works in a way contrary to the dictates of our poor reason in a way often that we never should have conceived and by methods we should never have selected this one method of his operation in subduing our iniquities and in making us partakers of the divine holiness the knowledge of indwelling sin its existence and power is often exceedingly defective at conversion and this ignorance may for years after continue we just see sin enough to alarm the conscience awaken conviction and take us to christ as a thing against god we hate it mourn over it and seek its pardon through the atoning blood this is followed by a sweet and lively sense of its blotting out and a growing desire after divine conformity but oh the unknown depths of sin these we have never explored what infinite wisdom and love are seen in hiding these depths at first from our knowledge were the lord fully to have revealed the hidden evils of the heart at the period when grace was yet in the bud and faith was feeble and our views of the lord jesus dim and the new creature yet in its infancy deep and dark despair must have gathered around the soul with perhaps just knowledge enough of christ to go to him as a savior with just faith enough to touch the hem of his garment the eternal spirit first disclosed to us the existence and the guilt of sin a full disclosure might have shut us up in hopeless despair as believers it is sweet to remember the tender love of god in our espousals to trace the gentleness of his first dealings with us in conversion and to bear in mind that what he was then he is at this moment but trace the work of the spirit in the after days of our experience he comes in accordance with the design of the covenant of grace to sanctify having called and quickened us he is about to enlarge the kingdom of god within us to stamp more deeply and bring out more vividly and broadly on the soul the varied lineaments of the divine image he is about to purify the temple more thoroughly to take a fresh possession of for god to expel every rival that by slow and imperceptible degrees may have insinuated itself there in a word he is about to sanctify us 
And how does he commence the work? By leading us into the chamber of imagery, by disclosing the depths of indwelling sin, sin whose existence we had never imagined, he shows to have its principal dwelling in the heart. Iniquity that we have never thought of, he reveals as lurking in secret ambush within. Oh, what darkness, what evil, and what baneful principles are found to have existed for so long, where we thought all was light, holiness, and rectitude. We start, we shudder, and we shrink away, aghast at the discovery. What, says the alarmed soul, does all this evil dwell in me? Have I carried about with me for so long these sinful desires? Have I dwelling in me the seeds of such deep and dark depravity? Wonder of wonders it is that the flood has not long since carried me away, that these deep evils have not broken out to the wounding of my peace and to the dishonoring of my God and Savior. Thus made acquainted with his own heart, almost a stranger to him before, the Holy Spirit awakens his souls with ardent desire for holiness. In view of such a discovery, whither can he fly but to the throne of grace? Thither then he goes, weeping, mourning, confessing, and his prayer is, Lord, subdue these evils in my heart. I am overwhelmed with astonishment. I lie down in shame, and my confusion covereth me, that I should have harbored so long these treacherous foes against thee. Thou God of holiness and love, save me, O God, for the waters are come into my soul. I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into the deep waters where the floods overflow me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now the Spirit deepens and strengthens this desire for sanctification. The believer is set upon earnestly seeking holiness of heart. He sees such an inquiry in sin as he never saw before, and seeing it, he abhors it, and abhorring it, he takes it to the spirit of holiness that he might overcome and subdue it. Thus, in leading the believer into a deeper acquaintance with the existence and power of indwelling sin, does the blessed spirit sanctify the soul by making it the occasion of stirring up its desires for holiness. So do not be cast down at the discovery of the hidden evil of your heart. Sweet is the evidence it affords to the fact that the Holy Spirit is working there. Whatsoever be the sin that is brought to light, pride, deceit, carnality, inordinate affection, evil thoughts, unbelief, impatience, whatsoever it be, he is revealing it to you, not unnecessarily so to wound and grieve you, oh no, he is a loving and a gentle spirit, but to beget this desire in your heart, Lord, conform me to thine image, make me holy as thou art holy. Another process by which the Spirit sanctifies is by deepening and strengthening the divine life of the soul. There is in every believer a spiritual life. This life is from God. He is therefore said to be a partaker of the divine nature. This new and divine life is from its very nature, holy and therefore opposed to the flesh. The flesh and the spirit are ever hostile to one another, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. 
Paul, referring to his own experience, corroborates this statement. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now the advance of the believer is true sanctification is just in proportion to the state of the divine life within him. If it be low and declining, feeble and drooping, then the flesh gains the ascendancy, and the root of sin is strengthened. If, on the contrary, the life of God in the soul is deepening and expanding healthily and vigorously, if the kingdom of God within, which is the new creation, is filling up every avenue of the mind, extending its conquests, and bringing every thought and affection into captivity to Christ, then the great work of sanctification is advancing, and the law of the mind is prevailing against him, the law of sin. There is an idea fatal to all true sanctification of sin, which some believers, especially those who are young in experience, are prone to entertain that nothing is to be done in the soul after a man has believed that the work of conversion having taken place, all is accomplished. So far from this being the case, he has but just entered upon the work of sanctification, just started the race, just buckled on the armor. The conflict can hardly be said to have begun in conversion, and therefore to rest indolently with the idea that the soul has nothing more to do than to accept of Christ and his salvation, that there are no corruptions to subdue, no sinful habits to cut off, no long-existing and deep-embedded sin to mortify, root and branch and no high and yet high degrees of holiness to attain it is to form a most contracted view of the christian life such a view as if persisted in must necessarily prove detrimental to the spiritual advance of the believer the work of sanctification is a great and daily work it commences at the very moment of our translation into the kingdom of christ on earth and does not cease until the moment of our translation into the kingdom of god in heaven the notion so fondly cherished by some of perfect sinlessness here is a fatal to true sanctification as it is contrary to god's word they know but little of their own heart who do not know that sin to borrow the language of john owen not only still abides in us but is still acting still laboring to bring forth the deeds of the flesh they know little who do not know that in their flesh there dwelleth no good thing that which is born of the flesh is flesh and will retain its fleshly nature and propensities to the very last let us not exult as though we have already attained or were already perfect let us not be ignorant of satan's devices one of which is to build us up in the belief that in the present life a man may cease from the work of mortification the lord keep the reader from cherishing so erroneous an idea the work of sanctification is the work of man's life when sin lets us alone as has been remarked we may let sin alone but when is the day indeed when is the hour that sin does not strive for the mastery and in which the believer can say that he has completely slain his enemy he may through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body and if he does he shall live but as the heart is the natural and luxuriant soil of every noxious weed of sin and as another springs up as soon as one is cut down indeed as the same root appears again above the surface with new life 
life and vigor it requires a ceaseless care and vigilance and perpetual mortification of sin in the body until we throw off this cumbrous clay and go where sin is known no more in this way does the spirit deepen the holiness of the child of god he strengthens the divine life within him he invigorates the principle of holiness waters and revives and expands the germ infuses new life into his own blessed work gives a new spring to faith and new impulse to obedience enlarges the heart with the love of christ and excites such a thirsting for holiness as none but god himself can satisfy we would not omit to notice the influence of sanctified afflictions which through this eternal spirit are a powerful means of sanctification to the soul it is good for me that i have been afflicted as been the exclamation and the testimony of many of the lord's covenant and tried people it is often difficult at the time to justify the wisdom and the goodness of god in his dealings with his saints david found it so when he saw with envy the prosperity of the wicked job found it so when in the hour and depth of his afflictions he exclaimed thou art become cruel to me with thy strong hand thou hast opposest thyself against me jeremiah found it so in his affliction he said he hath hedged me about that i cannot get out he hath made my chain heavy and yet where is the furnace tried tempest-tossed believer that has not had to say in the very faithfulness hath he afflicted me during the pressure of the trial at the moment when the storm was the heaviest he may have thought all these things are against me but soon as he had been led to justify the wisdom and the love and the faithfulness and the tenderness of his covenant god and father in his dealings and to sing in sweetness notes tis my happiness below not to live without the cross but the saviour's power to know sanctifying every loss the furnace is a needed process of sanctification if not why has god so ordered it if not why is it that so many of his people are chosen in the furnace of affliction why do all more or less pass through it the furnace is needed it is needed to purify the sons of levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the lord an offering in righteousness it is needed to consume the dross and the tin which adhere so closely to the precious ore to burn up the chaff that mingles with the precious grain to purify the heart to refine the affections to chasten the soul to wean it from a poor empty world to draw it from the creature and to centre it in god oh the blessed effects of this sanctified process who can fully unfold them that must be blessed indeed which makes sin more exceedingly sinful which weans and draws away from earth which endears jesus and his precious blood and righteousness and which makes the soul a partaker of his holiness this is the blessed tendency of the sanctified discipline of the covenant in this way does the holy spirit often sanctify the child of god are you a child of affliction ah how many whose eye falls on this question shall say i am the man that hath seen affliction so too was our lord and master and so too have been the most holy and eminent of his disciples 
then think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed ye may be glad also with exceeding joy this is the path along with all the lord's covenant people are led and in this path thorny though it be they pluck some of their choicest flowers and find some of their sweetest fruits i am not addressing myself to those who are strangers to sanctified sorrow whose voyage so far has been over a smooth and summer sea whose hearts affections have never been sundered whose budding hopes have never been blighted whose spring blossoms have never fallen just when the fruit was beginning to appear or whose sturdy oaks around which they fondly and closely clung have never been stricken at their side to such i speak a mystery when i speak of the peculiar and costly blessings of sanctified affliction it is not so with the experienced child of god the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath he is a witness to the truth of what i say from this mine he will tell you he has dug his richest ore in this field he has found his sweetest fruit the knowledge of god to which he has here attained his tender loving and wise dealings with his people his glorious character and perfections his unchangeable love and faithfulness the knowledge of christ his all-sufficiency and fullness his sympathy and love the knowledge of himself his poverty vileness and unworthiness oh where and in what other school could these high attainments have been made but in the low valley of humiliation and beneath the discipline of the covenant of grace thus does the spirit sanctify the soul through the medium of god's afflictive dispensations thus they deepen the work of the grace in the heart awaken the soul from its spiritual drowsiness empty humble and lay it low thus they lead to prayer to self-examination and afresh to the atoning blood in this way and by these means the believer advances in holiness through sanctification of the spirit again it is by simple close and searching views of the cross of christ that the spirit most effectually sanctifies the believer this is the true and great method of gospel sanctification here lies the secret of all real holiness and may i not add of all real happiness for if we separate happiness from holiness we separate that which in the covenant of grace god has wisely and indissolubly united the experience of the true believer must testify to this we are only happy as we are holy as the body of sin is daily crucified as the power of the indwelling principle of sin is weakened and as the outward department more beautifully and closely corresponds to the example of jesus let us not then look for a happy walk apart from a holy one trials we may have indeed if we are the lord's covenant ones we shall have them for he himself has said in the world ye shall have tribulation disappointments we may meet with broken cisterns thorny roads wintry skies but if we are walking in fellowship with god walking in the light growing up into christ in all things the spirit of adoption dwelling in us and leading us to a filial and unreserved surrender oh there is happiness unspeakable even though in the very depth of outward trial a holy walk is a happy walk there is god's order it is his appointment and therefore 
therefore, must be wise and good. The Spirit especially and effectually sanctifies by unfolding the cross of Jesus. We desire to enlarge upon this point, not only because he himself presents it in his word as one of vast importance, but from the sober conviction of our judgment that there is no great advance in holiness without a growing knowledge of Christ as the sanctification of the believer. A reference to God's word will place this truth in its proper light. Matthew 1.21 And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not only shall he save them from the guilt and condemnation of sin, but also from the indwelling power or reign of sin, so that sin shall not have dominion over them. We shall presently show more fully how, in his sacerdotal office, he accomplishes this. Again, 1 Corinthians 1 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. But the most striking allusion to this important truth is found in the 30th verse, where the Lord Jesus is especially spoken of as made of God the sanctification of his people. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now it is essential to a right reception of the subject that we should now know in what points of view Christ is made our sanctification, so that believing in him and receiving him as such, we may grow up into him in all things. In the first place, the atoning work of Christ lays the foundation of sanctification. He opens a way by which God, so to speak, can treat with the soul in the great business of its holiness. Only upon the broad basis of his law honored, his holiness secured, and his justice satisfied, can God, in the way of mercy, have communication with the sinner. Here we see the great glory of Jesus as the God-man mediator. His atoning work opens a channel through which God, without compromising a single perfection of his nature, can communicate the saving and sanctifying power of his grace to the soul. The obedience and bloodshedding of our adorable Lord are ever in the divine word connected with the sanctification of the church. A few examples will suffice to show this. Speaking of the legal but imperfect sanctification by the sacrifices under the law, the apostle supplies an argument in favor of the superior sanctification by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9, 13, 14. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again in Romans 6, 3-6, the following phrases occur. Planted in the likeness of his death, our old man crucified with him, the body of sin destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Let the reader also consult the following passages. Romans 5, 9, 1 Peter 3, 18, Colossians 1, 14, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, 1 John 4, 10. Thus the atoning blood of Jesus laid the foundation of all future degrees of sanctification. The cross of Christ is, so to speak, the starting point of the soul in the glorious career of holiness, and the goal to which it again returns. By it the body of sin is wounded, and wounded fatally. 
From it, pardon and peace and holiness flow, and through it the soul daily rises to God in a holy surrender of itself to his service. Let no man dream of true mortification of sin, of real sanctification of heart, who does not deal constantly, closely, and believingly with the atoning blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings the cross into the soul and lays it upon the heart to be the death of sin. I am crucified with Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus and see how the cross lifted him above the world and deadened him to it. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Thus did Paul breathe after and attain unto holiness. The intercession of our Lord Jesus pleads for and secures the sanctification of the believer. In this sense, it may be said that he is made of God unto us sanctification. The Christian reader may be but imperfectly aware how closely connected is every spiritual grace and blessing that he receives with the advocacy of Jesus at the right hand of God. The Lord increase our faith in this great and sanctifying truth. Well, yet upon earth our dear Lord commenced that work of intercession for the sanctification of the church, which he ascended up on high more fully to carry on. This was the burden of his prayer, and it forms, as John Owen observes, the blessed spring of our holiness. Sanctify them through thy truth. And not only would he leave it, as it were, as a model of the intercession of his exalted priesthood, but for our encouragement he would provide an evidence of its success. To Peter, about to pass through a severe temptation, he says, I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Nor did his faith fail. It was sifted. It was severely shaken. It was powerfully tried. But it failed not. Not a particle of the pure gold was lost in the refining. Not a grain of the pure wheat in the sifting. And why? Because Jesus had interceded and his intercession was all prevailing. Oh, the vast and costly blessings that flow into the soul from the intercession of Christ. Never shall we know the full extent of this until we pass within the veil. We shall then know the secret of our spiritual life, all of our supports, consolations, and victories, why it was that the spark in the ocean was not quite extinguished, why the vessel in the storm and amid the breakers did not quite become a wreck, why when temptations assailed and crosses pressed and afflictions overwhelmed and unbelief prevailed that our faith still did not fail, and our bark was not driven from its moorings, and that out of the depths we were enabled to cry, Thanks be to God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. The secret will then disclose itself, the intercession of Jesus, our great high priest. How sweet and consoling to the believer of this view of our exalted Emmanuel in the hour of bereavement, when confined to his chamber of solitude, are languishing upon his bed of pining sickness, too deeply absorbed in sorrow, it may be to give utterance to his anguished spirit in prayer, his bodily frame so weakened by disease and racked by pain, as to render the mind unfit for close and connected spiritual thought. Oh, how sweet it is then, the intercession of Jesus, how sweet to know that in the hour of the soul's extremity, when human sympathy and power are exhausted, Jesus has entered into heaven, now to appear in the presence of God for his suffering child. 
And when all utterance has failed on earth, when the heart is broken and the lips are sealed, then to look up and see our elder brother, the brother born for our adversity, the exalted high priest waving the golden censer before the throne, while the cloud of his atoning merit goes up before the mercy seat, bearing as it ascends the person, the name, the circumstances, and the wants of the sufferer below precious gospel that opens to the eye of faith so sweet a prospect as this when you cannot think of him afflicted soul he is thinking of you when you cannot pray to him he is praying for you for he ever liveth to make intercession but our lord jesus is in the sanctification of the believer in still another and blessed sense view him as the head of all mediatorial fullness to his people it pleased the lord that in him should all fullness dwell and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace here is sanctification for the believer who is mourning over the existence and power of indwelling sin feeling it to be his greatest burden and the cause of his deepest sorrow in the growing discovery of the hidden evil each successive view it may be deeper and darker than the former where is he to look but to unto jesus where can he fly but to his cross hemmed in on every side by a host of spiritual philistines no avenue of an escape presenting itself the eternal spirit leads the soul to a simple view of jesus opens to him the vast treasury of his grace and the free welcome to all comers and what does he find in that fullness all that he wants to pardon sin to hide deformity to overcome unbelief and break the power of strong corruption he finds that there is enough in christ to make him holy that simply taking his sins to jesus they are pardoned in taking his strong infirmities they are subdued in taking his wants they are supplied in a word he finds christ to be his wisdom and righteousness sanctification and redemption we close this chapter with a few remarks in the way of caution direction and encouragement in this great work do not mistake the nature of true sanctification it is an internal and radical work it has its seat in the heart a mere external mortification of sinful habits does not come up to the standard of gospel sanctification true this is included in real holiness yet it may exist without a holy heart a man may cut off outward sins and leave the principle of all sin yet remaining in its unsubdued power we may visit a forest and level a tall cedar to the earth yet if we leave the root deeply embedded in the soil the vital principle yet remaining in all its vigors what marvel if in course of time that root shall again shoot forth and branch out as before true sanctification is a daily mortification of the root of sin in the heart the continual destruction of the principle the word of god bears us out in this galatians five twenty four and they that are christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts romans six six knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed and henceforth we should not serve sin do not rest short of this would you be holy as god is holy and happy as the saints in glory are happy then must you reach after this and rest not until you attain it again we would urge seek high attainments in holiness do not be satisfied with a low measure of grace with a stunted religion with just enough christianity to admit you into heaven 
Oh, how many are thus content, satisfied to leave the great question of their acceptance to be decided in another world, and not in this, resting upon some slight evidence in itself faint and equivocal, perhaps a former experience, some impressions or sensations of transient joys long since passed away, and thus they are content to live, and thus content to die. You should not be satisfied with anything short of a present Christ received, enjoyed, and lived upon. Forget the things that are behind, reach forth unto higher attainments in sanctification, seek to have the daily witness, daily communion with God, and for your own sake, for the sake of others, and for Christ's sake, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure beware of self-dependence in this work remember words that jesus once spoke to his disciples and now speaks to you without me ye can do nothing self-trust self-complacency self-boasting all must be crucified and strong only in the strength that is in christ jesus must the believer gird himself to the work our wisdom is to go in our weakness and folly to jesus and this lies the great secret of our victory when i am weak then am i strong my grace is sufficient for thee i can do all things through christ which strengtheneth me do not forget that the truth of god is the great instrument of sanctification sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth there is that in the truth of god which when brought into the soul by the power of the holy ghost always sanctifies it is holy truth it unfolds a holy god reveals a holy law exhibits a holy sacrifice and enforces by most holy motives the sanctity of the most holy precepts in proportion as the renewed mind is brought into a close and constant contact with god's truth it grows nearer into its spirit let then the word of christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom in spiritual understanding be close diligent and prayerful students of the word of god do not separate the doctrine from the precept nor the precept from the promise every part is essential to the sanctification of the believer to secure this great end the doctrine the precept and the promise must be alike received and brought into active holy exercise deal much and closely with the atoning blood of jesus there is no victory over the indwelling power of sin and there is no pardon for the guilt of sin but as the soul deals with the blood of christ the great object of our dearest lord death was to destroy the works of the devil sin is the great work of satan to overcome this to break its power subdue its dominion repair its runes and release from its condemnation the blessed son of god suffered the ignominious death of the cross all that bitter agony which he endured all that mental suffering the sorrow of his soul in the garden the sufferings of his body on the cross all was for sin he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works titus two fourteen he gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it and that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish ephesians five twenty five to twenty seven see then the close and beautiful connection between the death of christ and the death of sin all true sanctification comes through the cross 
reader seek it there the cross brought into your soul by the eternal spirit will be the death of your sins go to the cross oh go to the cross of jesus in simplicity of faith go with the strong corruption go with the burden of guilt go go to the cross you will find nothing but love there nothing but welcome there nothing but purity there the precious blood of jesus cleanses from all sin and while you are kept low beneath the cross your enemy dares not approach you sin shall not have dominion over you nor shall satan your accuser condemn you deal much and closely with the fullness of grace that is in jesus all this grace in christ is for the sanctification of the believer it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell for the necessities of his people and what necessities so great and urgent as those which shrink from indwelling sin take the corruption whatever be its nature directly and simply to jesus the very acting and taking it to him weakens its power indeed it is half way to victory the blessed state of mind the holy impulse that leads you to your secret place in loneliness of spirit brokenness of heart and humble confession of sin with the hand of faith on the head of jesus the atoning sacrifice is a mighty achievement of the indwelling spirit over the power of indwelling sin learn to take the guilt as it comes and the corruption as it rises directly and simply to jesus do not allow the guilt of sin to remain long upon the conscience the moment there is the slightest consciousness of a wound received take it to the blood of christ the moment a mist dims the eye of faith so that you cannot see clearly the smile of your father's countenance take it that instant to the blood of atonement let there be no distance between god and your soul sin separates but sin immediately confessed mourned over and forsaken brings god and the soul together in sweet close and holy fellowship oh the oneness of god and the believer in the sin pardoning christ who can know it only one who has experienced it to cherish then the abiding sense of this holy loving oneness the believer to use the figure of the tabernacle must wash daily in the brazen laver that is outside entering within the veil he may draw near the mercy seat and ask what he will of him who dwells there who dwells between the cherubim having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of jesus by the new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water hebrews nine twenty two thank god for the smallest victory gained praise him for any evidence that sin has not entire dominion every fresh triumph achieved over some strong and besetting weakness is a glorious battle won no victory that ever flushed the cheek of an alexander or a caesar can be compared with his who in the grace that is in jesus christ overcomes a single corruption if he that ruleth his spirit is better than he that taketh a city then he who masters one corruption of his nature has more real glory than the greatest earthly conqueror that ever lived
Oh, how God is glorified, how Jesus is honored, and how the Spirit is magnified in the slaying of one spiritual enemy at the foot of the cross. Cheer up, precious soul. You have every encouragement to persevere in the great business of sanctification. True, it is a hard fight. True, it is a severe and painful contest. But the victory is yours. The captain of your salvation has fought and conquered for you and now sits upon his throne of glory, cheering you on and supplying you with all needed strength for the warfare in which you are engaged. Then fight the good fight of faith, quit you like men, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, for you shall at length overcome through the blood of the Lamb, and be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Here, beneath the cross, what I breathe for you, the desire and the prayer once offered by the apostle of the Gentiles in behalf of the church of the Thessalonians and the very god of peace sanctify you wholly and i pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our lord jesus christ amen and amen many more free puritan and reformed resources are available online at puritandownloads.com stay salty